Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I think you've got to go through all the tape from the entire year at this time of year and you know plan for everything. Um, you know, again, there's only 65 to 75 plays. Um, this time of year and you got to make sure that you're trying to give your players everything you can in terms of the preparation process of it you know what they do or not do you know you never know going into a game so it'll be the standard procedure that we usually do do you expect them to run him more or him to be able to run more than he did in that game i don't know i don't know i think you have to prepare for everything um, dynamic player I've said this before throw it pass it twice you know up there for mvp and you know, get a big challenge ahead Brian Dayball, coach of the year in the eyes of many, taking on the guy who looked like he was going to be the MVP until he had the shoulder injury against the Bears, missed a couple of games, didn't look spectacular when he was back in week 18, but enough to get the victory, to get the one seed, and now Jalen Hurts feeling better as the Giants and Eagles get together for round three. And I, I, this is the only time that I can remember, Peter, where, yes, two teams have met twice before, but the second one to me doesn't really count. It was the Giants JV squad. Right. They conceded that one. They they defied the Tom Coughlin, John Madden, go out there and win that that final game of the regular season and and use it as a way to springboard yeah. yourself into the postseason. They rested their guys and man, they guys like Saquon Barkley looked a lot more explosive because of it in the playoffs. So it was a smart move by the Giants. So this is really game number two. Uh and when when you're talking about divisional opponents, I remember this happening a couple of times in the NFC East, 2008. It was Eagles-Giants. Giants were the one seed. Eagles went in and won. 2007, it was Giants-Cowboys. Cowboys were the one seed. Giants went in and won. This will not surprise anybody if the Giants pull this off, Peter. I don't think it will, Mike, because this Giants team this year, even though all of the characters are different. Remember, in 2007 and in 2011, Tom Coughlin was the coach and Eli Manning was the quarterback. So, you know, there were some, a lot of similar, and they played the Patriots both times. But the similarities, I think, in terms of the two teams and what, or the two teams at that time, And the similarities to now, I think, are many, which is those two teams, one was nine and seven, went on to win the Super Bowl. One was 10 and six, went on to win the Super Bowl. And obviously the Giants, nine, seven and one this year, now 10, seven and one after winning the game in Minnesota, they are a playoff outsider entering the 14-team tournament. Nobody thinks that they're going to the Super Bowl. This is Philadelphia or Dallas or San Francisco. Uh, And I mean, I think everybody going into it, not necessarily Dallas, but saw this as probably Philadelphia or San Francisco. Now Dallas with the way they played on Monday night in Tampa, now they're in the discussion. But the thing that the Giants do very well, number one, they control the line of scrimmage on defense. 
they really bother the quarterback with interior rush. Those are two things that are going to be hard for the Eagles to defend. But then again, Jason Kelsey has only done it about a thousand times in his life. So he'll be ready and he'll be used to this. And I think the second thing the Giants have is a bit of the unknown on offense. James Bradbury, I talked to him the other day about it. And he said, the one thing you notice about the Giants is they don't make a lot of mistakes on offense. And I think that was very a very prescient comment by him. And Mike, the one other thing I would say is, look, Daniel Jones in his last two games, he missed the Philadelphia game, but in his last two games has thrown the ball to Isaiah Hodgins 21 times. So, okay, the Eagles have to know what's coming. And as crazy as this sounds, they're probably going to have to roll some of their coverage to Isaiah Hodgins, a guy who the Giants picked up on waivers two months ago, two months and two weeks ago, actually, from the Buffalo Bills. So I, I think this, this is going to be a game in the fourth quarter. And I think the Giants come in, I hate the term playing with house money. Nobody there feels like, feels like that. They feel like they have a legitimate chance to win. I think they have a legitimate chance to win. I think it's more so the pressure that's on the one seed. The records go out the window in theory. It doesn't matter, right? But for the team that had the special season, the team that felt like it was its destiny all year long, and that that started to dissipate for the Eagles late in the year. That shine, that glow, that gleam that they had. Once Jalen Hurts got injured, they wobbled a little bit, and they actually almost blew the number one seed. But they got the one seed. How do you justify that one seed season, that great year you had? Losing in the divisional round, going one and out, just wipes everything clean. That's one of the reasons why... I think Vikings fans are struggling with what happened last weekend. Special season, all those great games, the Bills game, the Colts game, this game, that game, and it all just ended in a thud at home in the wild card round. And and that's why I made the Rocky analogy, and I guess it is even more appropriate in Philadelphia, that you, you can catch that one seed early. They end up in a game that they didn't expect to be in. You get some of that what-the-hell's-going-on-out-there vibe on the sideline, and the next thing you know, you're in a much closer game, and your season's on the line, and you're, you're just a little tighter than the team that no one expected to be there. That becomes a real factor when you're talking about, you know, you mentioned earlier you'd love to see the Ravens and Bengals in a seven-game series. When it's one game and one game only, those are very real human factors that can mess up the team that's supposed to win the game. Absolutely. And, you know, Mike, I think one of the things that is interesting about this game, um, when you consider all of the various factors in this game, I want to tell you something about the game 11 days, I think it was 11 days ago, the last game of the season. You know, it wasn't only, uh, it wasn't only Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who did not play for the New York Giants. Andrew Thomas didn't play. The left tackle, who is right now one of the two best left tackles in football. Dexter Lawrence did not play. Leonard Williams did not play. Adoree Jackson did not play. I just mentioned probably, arguably, the three most important Giants on defense in this game did not play the last time. And what happened in that game? The Philadelphia Eagles scored 22 points. And Jalen Hurts, who obviously you just want to get him some some reps, okay? But Jalen Hurts did not play an impressive game. And I'm not saying that that means a lot going into this game because it doesn't mean a lot going into this game. Uh, Because in that game... Jalen Hurts had 10 possessions, um, and he really, he had two long drives in that game. And again, that doesn't mean anything necessarily, but I think if you love the Philadelphia Eagles, you probably wish that against a defense that is about a, you know, compared to 
if if the Giants' regular defense is 100, the defense they put on the field in that game was a 73. And, and the Eagles struggled in that game. And again, not going to mean a lot in this game, most likely, but it's not totally insignificant. On Sunday, a very significant game will be played. It could burst the Nielsen pipeline with viewers. You had 31 million plus in the final analysis on Monday night between the Bucks and the Cowboys. Cowboys 49ers, are you kidding me? At 6 o'clock on Fox, nationally televised, I don't know what the number is going to be, Peter, but it's going to be more than 31 million. It's going to be more than the Thanksgiving game between the Giants and the Cowboys. It's going to be 45 to 50 million tuning in for this Cowboys 49ers game. And I can't wait to see it because it, it's got that 90s vibe. It's got that old school, the, the teams that were inevitably going to square off to get to the Super Bowl every year from 92 through 95, they get together again. And there's something special about that. Well, Mike, I covered the game 30 years ago this week um, for Sports Illustrated Cowboys uh, at Niners. And that week, it was a very weird week. It was a candlestick park. It poured rain the whole week. And the field was basically not in great shape. But the NFL brought in George Toma that week to work on the field and actually held up okay. But, But anyway, that was 30 miles north at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. This one will be in Santa Clara, and I guarantee you, even with all the rain, the field will be in a lot better shape than that field was 30 years ago. And I just think, honestly, I think a better field uh, and a more sure a field with more sure footing uh, is an advantage for the Cowboys. And I, and the reason that I think it's an advantage for the Cowboys, look. It may neutralize Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, because if you're an edge rusher, you have to have sure footing coming around the corner, and who knows what the footing will be like. But to me, the biggest person in this game who I would want to have a sure-footed field on it is Tony Pollard. You know, the Cowboys running back makes people miss. He is in the open field. He's very hard to corral, and in short area space he's one of the best short area quickness guys in the NFL right now so to me uh, I think if it's a mucky field and it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, that would hurt Tony Pollard Uh, the better the field is the better it's going to be I think for the Dallas Cowboys and by the way, I did misspeak, and I want to correct myself. It was 92, 93, and 94 that the Cowboys and the 49ers met for the right to go to the Super Bowl. 95, Brett Favre and the Packers went into what was known at the time as Three Calm Park and beat the 49ers 27-17 to before going to Dallas and losing to the Cowboys that year. So three straight years in the NFC Championship. They get together again. The Cowboys get their first road win since that game you're talking about in the postseason. And if the Cowboys win... They will advance to the NFC Championship for the first time since that 38-27 victory over Brett Favre in 1995. Who would have ever imagined, Peter? I've sa- I think I say this every year, especially when the Cowboys are in the postseason or when their season ends. It's, just, it's another year removed from 1995. And now we are 26 years from the last time the Cowboys played for the right to go to the Super Bowl. That would have been incomprehensible if you had told us that the last time the Cowboys made it to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 30, to not get to the NFC Championship since then is truly amazing, and now's their chance. Hey, look, you know, the one thing about this Cowboys team, in my opinion, the other day in Tampa, they didn't really have an explosive running game. But remember, this is an old Parcells-ism. You know, when I I once asked him about, wow, what some team or another, 4.7 yards a carry, uh, they had a really good day running the ball. And he said, Peter, it isn't yards per carry. It is number of carries. 
And the reason that he said that in this particular game, like, and I'll draw the conclusion to this game. So the Cowboys only rushed for 3.7 yards a carry, but they rushed it 35 times. And they had the ball for 35 minutes in this game. 34-34, actually, but uh, almost 35 minutes. And what you want to do in this game is keep the ball away from Tom Brady. Even though Tom Brady didn't look like Tom Brady in that game, you want to keep the ball away from Tom Brady. That has to be part of what you do. And the two things about this game that impressed me is that the Cowboys were able to run the ball efficiently, not explosively, but efficiently. And Dalton Schultz became, to me, what Jay Novacek was to Troy Aikman in big games, uh, what uh, Jason Witten was to Tony Romo in big games. And that is a security blanket tight end against a defense that knew he was coming. But still, uh, Dalton Schultz had the kind of night you know, with seven catches and two touchdowns, that is going to be essential against a team uh, that can be defensively oppressive like the 49ers can be. One of the big talking points this week relates to the dynamic the NFL first adopted last year with a Monday night game to cap super wild card round with six windows two on Saturday, three on Sunday, one on Monday night. The end result here, the Cowboys travel to Tampa, play Monday night, travel back to Dallas, travel to Santa Clara, and play six days later when the 49ers have eight days and didn't have to travel on either end, didn't travel home, don't travel out. Here's Kyle Shanahan when asked yesterday by reporters about having two extra days to get ready for this game in comparison to the Cowboys. I mean, I think it can be advantage. Sometimes it can be a disadvantage. So I know the obvious ones um, that, you know, you get less rest, less time to recover. Um, you know, I love having more time and stuff, but man, sometimes you feel like you can't play those Thursday night games and you get to it and your team is just off the wall because um, they just they haven't slowed down at all. And um, by this time, it, I don't think it is about recovery. It's about detail and it's about executing and it's about playing at a high level. Um, once you get to games, especially in the playoffs, that recovery, I mean, people forget about pretty quickly. And I mean, just watching the Rams last year, I mean, they beat the Cardinals as good as anyone, and then they flew all the way to Tampa, and I think they were up 28-0 to at halftime. So um, I don't think it means anything. Now, I disagree with half of what Kyle Shanahan said. I'll agree with him when it comes to recovery. Players are going to be less inclined to complain their bodies are going to find a way to get themselves right again. The adrenaline flows because it is what you play for. This is why you lift all them weights, as Bill Parcells once told his players in the 1986 season. But, Peter, he also said it's detail, planning, execution. And when you give Kyle Shanahan a little extra time to get ready for the Cowboys' defense, especially when, and I know I'm going to trigger you, with this, especially when Dan Quinn is going to interview for a head coaching job on Friday and necessarily limit the amount of time and focus and attention he is devoting to what should be his only task this week. Work, eat, sleep, nothing else. Prepare for Kyle Shanahan, his former offensive coordinator when he was the head coach of the Falcons. Hell yes, that's an advantage for Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan is not going to say it. He's going to downplay it while he takes full advantage of that advantage. I am without speech when it comes to the NFL allowing coaches in the playoffs <laughs> to interview for head coaching jobs. I'm just telling you, if I were a head coach and Mike McCarthy said all of the right things, how great it is for Dan Quinn and we know that He'll be focused on this game, blah, blah, blah. Just here's my question. You've worked all season, all season to get to this point. Everything that you have done all through your off season was to get to the divisional round and then everything will be to get to the championship game. Then everything will be to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, first of all, I would be okay if, if, if Dan Quinn is... 
preparing for a head coaching job on July 12th, okay, if he's putting his binder together and all that stuff, okay, which I'm sure that that's what coaches and their agents do. It's, it's insane. It, it is worse than insane. In my opinion, the NFL allowing this basically sets up, uh, you know, a reason. And look, this is not the Dallas Cowboys and it's not Dan Quinn. Okay. But two years ago, I remember talking to a general manager of a team who had a coordinator interviewing for a job and this team was in the playoffs. And this general manager told me that I don't know how anybody could think that if we lose this game, that some small part of the reason wasn't one of my coaches spending four hours both preparing for and doing an interview for a head coaching job somewhere else. It's, it's crazy. It is absolutely, totally, unequivocally crazy. But Mike, do you mind if I focus one thing about this whole rest and non-rest and everything like that? So, I, and, I, and I know this because yesterday, I, I, you know, I work on my column a little bit ahead of time. And I answered a question in my column that'll be out on Monday. And I answered a question because somebody said, it's ridiculously unfair for the Dallas Cowboys to have to fly to Tampa, play one game, win that, and then in a short week, have to go to San Francisco and play a team that has two more days of rest. Yes. Is it equitable? No. Here's my question. Did anybody say one syllable about the Los Angeles Chargers playing a game on Sunday in the late window, the week 18 of the regular season, and playing the Denver Broncos in that late window, then flying home, preparing for a game, and then finding out probably when they're flying home, whenever, that they have to now go 2,900 miles, okay, and play on Saturday against the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road. Not one person said a word about that. This is precisely the same thing. And it's, the, it's World War III. It's inequitable. It's awful. It's terrible. What's the difference? There is no difference. In my opinion, look, you can't predict who's going to win these games. Would anybody be saying anything if it was Tampa? Maybe a little bit because of the short week. But, you know, that's just the way life goes. You had, and, and, and plus, plus, how about this? The Dallas Cowboys had an extra day to prepare for this game, the wild card game in Tampa. They had an extra day to get their injured guys more treatment. Okay, so stop with this. Just stop. Well, the reality is there's no solution. There are things you can point to, and it's not a matter of what's fair or what's not fair. Those are just factors. It's, it, these are factors. When we're trying to figure out who's going to win the game, it makes me more confident when I think the 49ers are going to win because they had the two extra days to prepare, because they didn't have to travel, because they have the extra recovery time, because Dan Quinn necessarily is distracted for a chunk of when he should be focused exclusively on cracking the code on Kyle Shanahan's offense and not having Shanahan crack the code on his defense. Every extra minute that you spend thinking about anything but what you should be only doing is necessarily one less minute than you are spending on that thing. So, hey, and the bottom line, Peter, there is no solution. Unless they start all of the playoff games at the exact same time, there's no way to iron this out. And as fans, we want to watch this game, then this game, then let's sleep, then let's watch three one after another, then let's sleep again, and then let's watch one in primetime on Monday night. So that's what happens when these games are on big platforms with huge numbers, look at the ratings from the weekend and that 31 million plus from Monday night, the NFL's never given that up. So Mike McCarthy is very pragmatic. TV is king. That's just the way it works. And they just have to operate within those confines. It, and can, they all, can I, I, I want to, I want to just make one last point about this. And I don't mean to be a dill weed about this, Mike. But let me ask you this question. 
Let me ask you this question. Would that is anyone, not the vocabulary would anyone have? Would anyone have said anything if the Dallas Cowboys, instead of playing Monday night, had played Saturday night? Would anybody have said anything? Probably not. It is the exact same thing. Playing at Washington on Sunday, flying home to Dallas, having a short week, flying to Tampa, playing Saturday night. It would have been the same thing. And yet people wouldn't have been up in arms about that. The Cowboys got their rest on the front end. They don't have their rest on the back end. And road versus home, hey, if you want to do something about that, have a better record than the 49ers in the regular season. Oh, exactly. It's one of the benefits of landing higher on the playoff tree. All right. Uh, As Mike McCarthy said, TV is king. TV has certain requirements, like from time to time we need to shut up so we can take a break, which we will do. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The NFL has announced the five teams that will host international games in 2023. That has happened actually during the past hour or so while we've been on the air. Three in London, the Bills, the Titans, and the Jaguars will all host games. And in Germany, not one, but two, the Chiefs and the Patriots. And the reason why they're all AFC teams other than the Jaguars who host one in London every year, that 17-game schedule, one year the AFC has nine home games, one year the NFC has nine home games. So this year, 23, the AFC has the extra home game, and you see five AFC teams giving up a home game for Europe, Peter, and uh, uh, Germany, a bigger and bigger deal for the NFL and London, obviously part of the fabric of the league now since 2007. Well, Mike, I I covered the game in Munich, uh, the Tampa-Seattle game in November. I learned a lot about a lot of things in that week, but the biggest thing was the NFL is over the moon about the support in Germany. I knew, you know, back then that there was a very good chance they were going to play two games this year. The the release a, a, an hour ago basically said that uh, that both uh, Kansas City and New England would be playing games, uh, would be playing in Germany. But you're right what you said at the top, and I have confirmed this. Both of them will be the hosts of games. There is some thought that... First of all, at least one of these games is going to be played in Frankfurt. Um, And the other one, perhaps at Allianz Stadium or Allianz Arena, rather, in Munich. Uh, But at least one will be in Frankfurt. Now, the three other little points, mini points. Number one, you ask, they always get 100,000 people in Mexico City. Why is there not a game in Mexico City going to be a game in 2023? Simple reason. Uh, Mexico City is taking this time to get Stadium Azteca ready for the 2026 World Cup by doing a lot of construction, retrofitting, blah, blah, blah on that stadium. Number two, why when the NFL said they're going to play at least four games in Munich or in Germany between 22 and 25, 
why uh, having two this year instead of an extra game in, in London or somewhere else. And the reason is the NFL was blown away by what one person uh, involved in the staging of this game said was had the buzz and the energy of a conference championship game in Munich for that game. And I can attest to that. That was a crazy, crazy couple of days. And the game itself, Mike, one hour after the game, there's people in the stands singing, uh, listening to a post-game show on the field. They didn't want to leave. So they know that they have the love of the game in there. And then finally, you talk about having Kansas City and New England host games there this coming year. Well, the following year, Carolina will host a game in Germany. I don't know if there will be more than one, but Carolina is the last team that has sort of declared Germany as a home site. So I think you're going to see Carolina in 2024 host one of the games when NFC teams have the nine home games in that year. And many continue to ask, where is this heading? And from time to time, you'll hear speculation or prediction of teams, multiple teams in London. There's two NFL stadiums in London. It would make sense. And the commissioner this past season mentioned for the first time the possibility of eventually an entire division in Europe, which would consist of two in London, one in Germany, and another one who knows where, France, Spain, who knows. Now, may not happen anytime soon, and they've been talking about it as if it's going to happen inevitably for the past 10 or 15 years, but it sure feels like it's moving that way because the fans I know that I interact with and I hear from who watch the show on Sky Sports NFL are incredibly passionate. The folks who love the NFL in London and Europe, I think they're even more fanatical than the average American because – They don't take any of it for granted. We do because it has completely saturated our existence in the in the countries where it's not as big of a deal as the other sports. The folks who have fallen in love with it are even more over the top than than the folks I encounter here. And, and, And it makes sense. It makes sense. If you love something and you don't get to see it as much as you would like to, you you crave it even more. Mike, um. The day before the game uh, last year in, Saturday, in, in Munich a few weeks ago, actually, uh, I was in a, a, one of the big squares in Munich called Odeonsplatz. And this is where a lot of historically significant events over the years have happened uh, in Munich. And it's one of the main gathering places in, in all of Germany. And... In audience plots were 32 NFL helmets, huge NFL helmets. And there were so many people there. The crowds were teeming, were so thick that I saw it and I said, oh, my God, this is, it's too crowded. So I stayed, looked at it, took a couple of photos and walked away. But there were tens of thousands of people in Munich for what, you know, a mini very, very mini NFL experience. And all they wanted to do was see and touch and feel the NFL. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Roger Goodell about <clears throat> Fred Goodelli. I wrote about it for my column. And Fred Goodelli, obviously the great NBC sports producer who uh, uh, did his last game in Jacksonville last weekend, also worked with the Amazon Prime Video this year. But and and so and we got finished and I said hey I said I was in Munich for that game that was incredible we went back and forth and I got the impression from from Goodell without any question that the fervor was far beyond what the NFL really thought was going to happen and that's one of the reasons why this is not going to be the last year where there will be two games in Germany whether there's ever a franchise there I have my extreme doubts. But this will be the, not the last year that the NFL schedules two games in Germany. Well, uh, the the experiment international for the NFL is only going to continue because folks love 
the game beyond our borders, and there are easy ways now to export it, and that will not stop anytime soon. You mentioned the game in Germany felt like a conference championship game. The Ravens haven't been in a conference championship game since the year they won the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco as the quarterback. Lamar Jackson's future has been a focal point in recent days. We'll give you the latest on that and our take on where we think things are going to go when PFT Live continues right after this. You can't let a guy like him go, you know. I mean, I know it's football and, you know, and there's always, you know, some new, you know, exciting toy, you know, new exciting kid, you know, that has potential to go out there and be great, you know. But, you know, this is a business of, for sure, is a knowns. And, uh, you know, you know Lamar Jackson is, uh, you know, an incredible player, you know, and I think it's in the best interest of the, uh, the Ravens organization to, to, you know, give him a long-term contract and, uh, you, know, make, you know, make him, you know, know a guy. Calais Campbell, one of the great guys of the NFL, talking about the situation between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. You can't let a guy like him go. It has been awkward. It has been delicate it has all kind of come to a head in recent days peter last week was strange we got for the first time a sense of exasperation from within the organization whether it's coaching staff front office locker room this idea that lamar jackson arguably possibly healthy enough to play with his pcl sprain but choosing not to and let me just say this i got no problem with a guy who has earned his long-term financial security, who is not 100% taking the position, I'm not playing without my long-term financial security. The problem is he should have it already in part because he should have been represented by someone who could explain to him the pros and cons, pluses and minuses, costs and benefits of taking and not taking the best offer the Ravens would have made. And if you don't want that offer, we need to mobilize an effort to get you to a new team. If you want Deshaun Watson's deal, at some point you have to behave like Deshaun Watson did, which means embracing being the bad guy and saying, I'm never playing for you again. That's the problem. He's got a lot of the blame, Peter, in my view, for not having a long-term contract because he didn't have someone who could help him get one. There's no question about that, Mike. Um, I think for some reason he has it in his head that having an agent is not the best thing for me. And I'm not here to advocate for an agent, any specific one or to say anything, but logically, you know, it's very hard for the Baltimore Ravens to say to Lamar Jackson, okay, you're not worth a guaranteed contract five years, 45 million, whatever. I, I don't know what the numbers are, whatever they are, okay? You're not worth that. Because the Baltimore Ravens don't want to say those words to the starting quarterback of the football team. You're not worth something. They want to be able to say it to John Doe, the agent, so that John Doe can then say, hey, Lamar, here's why it's not a smart thing to ask for this. If indeed, I'm assuming he asked for it. Lamar's never admitted that. It's been this rampant speculation. So I'm assuming that it's it's true, but I don't know it 100% factually. It's true. The fact is, however. The union filed. Okay. Go ahead. The the, the union filed agreements. over this whole issue of, of fully guaranteed contracts. Lamar Jackson wants a five-year fully guaranteed contract, period. He doesn't understand how difficult okay. it is to get it and all the dynamics involved. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yes, he clearly wants it, and that's been the reason for the impasse. So, so to me, I think there are two things to say about that, as, as I was going to say before you logically, and you should have interrupted me. But there's two things to say. Number one, Deshaun Watson's contract is an outlier, is an outlier, pure, simple outlier. No one else has gotten it. Uh, You can say, well, what about Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins is a different story. All along, he's gotten these guaranteed deals. Uh, And he stood up for it. He and his agent, Mike McCartney, stood up for it and basically said, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want, blah, blah, blah. If you want to employ us, This is what it's going to take. So teams have agreed to do that. My feeling about, you know, getting a 
quote, five-year, $250 million guaranteed contract, if indeed those are the financial figures. My feeling is, especially now and even last year, you know, last year Lamar Jackson missed the last five and three-quarter football games because he was hurt. Now, this year, he missed the last six and three-quarter football games because he was hurt. And again, I'm not faulting him for being hurt. I'm just simply stating a fact. Why would a team give a fully guaranteed contract to a player who over the last two football seasons has missed 34% of the time at the most important position on the field? And your point about the Ravens not being able to say directly to Lamar Jackson, you're not worth a five-year fully guaranteed contract. That's not even the way that they would phrase it. But even then, Lamar Jackson has shown no inclination to accept the very real differences between his situation, Deshaun Watson's situation, and Kirk Cousins' situation. Because there has been a vague sense that Lamar is content to do what Kirk Cousins did. And I remember three games into the season when Lamar was playing really well. And people in the industry, in our industry, in the media were saying, he bet on himself and won. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. The bet doesn't pay off until the end of the 2024 season. Yes. Under the Kirk Cousins track. You still got to get through all of 22, all of 23, all of 24, healthy and effective before you can go out and dictate terms on the open market. And Cousins was able to get a three-year fully guaranteed deal. He's renegotiated it a couple of times since then. To get the Deshaun Watson deal, you've got to say, I'm never playing for you again. Trade me. And then you have to hope that the team will trade you. And then you have to hope that multiple teams will line up and clamor to get you and you can play them against each other and you can at the right time say to one of them sorry we're not interested anymore and then you have to hope that that team has already alienated its relationship with its current starting quarterback in this case it was Baker Mayfield in Cleveland to the point where they're desperate enough to swing back around and say how about a five-year fully guaranteed deal that's how rare it is that's how narrow that needle is that Deshaun Watson's agent was able to thread good luck Lamar Jackson or any player or any human doing that your own when it's not what you do for a living. I couldn't have done it at age 25 on behalf of myself with all those complicated moving parts. That's what Lamar Jackson doesn't understand. And that's what he desperately needs someone to explain to him. And Peter, now it's getting to the point where, and here's what I think is going to happen, non-exclusive franchise tag, and he will have an invitation to go out there and try to do what he's been unable to do with the Ravens, negotiate a long-term deal with another team. And the Ravens will gladly take two first-round picks or maybe even work out a trade. But it goes nowhere if Lamar Jackson can't negotiate a long-term deal with another team. And he's not going to get somebody to rush to him with a five-year fully guaranteed contract. It's just not going to work that way. So, Mike, if you try to read the tea leaves on the future, I agree with you about the non-exclusive franchise tag. And so people understand this. What that basically means is that Lamar Jackson would be able to, and I assume he's not going to have an agent, he would be able to, I'm sure somehow, some way, he could get Joe Douglas's cell phone number, the general manager of the New York Jets, or Chris Ballard's cell phone number, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts, and say, hey, um, I'd like to negotiate with you if you have any interest in me. In me. And so, I mean, the that's so crazy to think about. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. But the bottom line in this is, and let's just say, let's just say for the sake of argument that he does call Joe Douglas, that the pressure from Woody Johnson on Joe Douglas and Robert Sala to get the franchise quarterback, that Woody Johnson says, okay, we'll give you our next two ones. And we will sign Lamar Jackson to, let's, let's say, a, an 80% guaranteed contract. And we will give him uh, a five-year contract that is 80% guaranteed or whatever. And Lamar Jackson takes it. So then you say, okay, well, what does that mean? What happens? Well, then the Ravens have the right, if they choose to, to basically say, okay, we're going to we're going to either take that or we're going to allow him to leave and then we'll take 
you know, the draft choice compensation. I'm putting myself in the Ravens' shoes as a team that has now seen a guy who makes a living partly with his legs as well as his arm, and, and he's one of the best runners at quarterback in the 103-year history of the NFL. So as a guy who does that, and with the last t- two years has been hurt for a third of the year, I think the Ravens would say, we'll take it. Okay, Jets, you give us the 13th pick in this draft. And then the Ravens will take a quarterback at some point. Just think, Mike. They got their last two quarterbacks with the 18th pick in the draft, Joe Flacco, and with the 32nd pick in the draft, uh, Lamar Jackson. I doubt they're afraid of being left with the 13th and whatever they're going to have, whatever they have, like 20th pick in the draft. I forget what they have. But... But I doubt they're going to be afraid and think that, oh, my God, this is we, we don't want to let this guy go. Of course, they don't want to let him go. But if given those choices, I have to think that the Ravens would take the draft pick or picks and just pick another quarterback. Later today, John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, and Eric DaCosta, the GM, meet with the media for their end-of-season press conference. It'll be interesting to see what messages may or may not be sent in the things they say or don't say. One last point I want to make, though, before we break. Lamar Jackson has, from time to time, been linked to the Dolphins. He's from Miami. There was a social media reaction by him last summer where he liked a mock-up of him in a Dolphins uniform. And the Tua situation continues to be, despite what the Dolphins publicly say, until they pick up his fifth-year option or sign their long-year, uh, a long-term contract, I think that they potentially are considering their options. Peter, the last point I want to make on Lamar Jackson, the two first-round picks as compensation. People would say, well, the Dolphins can't do anything because their first round pick is in the custody of the league office as a punishment for tampering with Sean Payton and Tom Brady last year. Keep this in mind. After the 2023 draft comes and goes, the Dolphins could then sign Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet because then the two first round picks would be 2024 and 2025. That could happen. And that wouldn't be great for the Ravens because they'd have to wait a full year to get the first of their two first-round picks and not get it this year. So keep that in mind. They're telling me to break. I'd love to hear what you think about this, Peter, but we'll have to put a pin in that and do it another day because we got more to get to. There once was a time where being associated with Sean McVay was a one-way ticket to being a head coach somewhere else. Yesterday, it was a one-way ticket out of town in L.A. for good. We'll discuss the comings and goings of the Rams coaching staff next here on PFT Live. Sean McVay back with the Rams, multiple assistant coaches gone, led by special teams coordinator Joe D. Camillus, also offensive line coach Kevin Carberry, defensive backs coach John Cooley, a couple of assistant coaches, two assistants, assistant to the assistant, also gone. Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, already left for the same job with the University of Kentucky, which still seems weird to me. It's a lateral move to a B-level college program all due respect to the University of Kentucky football, but come on, we I, I know West Virginia's B-level now at best. It's just kind of the way the NIL world has gone. So, Peter, um, your reaction to the news of a semi-overhaul to the Sean McVay coaching staff? Totally unsurprising to me anyway because uh, I had heard that Sean McVay, as this season went on, one of the things that uh, – added to his angst, anger, frustration, whatever, is that he didn't like the composition of his coaching staff, that he basically felt like there weren't enough people bringing ideas, challenging him. Um, And I think that led to him saying internally, hey, listen, if you guys get an opportunity to coach somewhere else, take it. I encourage you to take it. However, that that was said. I think Sean McVay, and look, you know, the interesting thing is this week the Rams' offices are closed, but I'll tell you one person who is working this week, and that's Sean McVay. 
He, everybody knows every, I mean, it's been the worst kept secret around the Rams that the Rams really would like him to disappear for two or three weeks and to basically go and drink Mai Tais and just not think about football for a while. Well, Sean McVay, I think eventually is going to do that, but he's not going to do it while there are all these musical chairs throughout the NFL with assistant coaches. He wants to get his coaching staff taken care of. And so that's why he is still nose to the grindstone instead of having gone to Hawaii or to Timbuktu, wherever. And one other thing, Mike, I think it is particularly important for Sean McVay to find a coach on offense who can say to him, hey, Sean, bad idea. Here's why. Blah. Whether or not uh, Sean McVay takes that advice, I think he needs a more veteran coach. I think he needs a Frank Reich type, whoever, whoever it is, a guy who has been down the road and who is used to saying to the head coach, hey, I'm going to challenge you on this thing. That is what Sean McVay needs, particularly on his offensive staff. I've identified the various potential theories as to why Sean McVay ultimately stayed at a time when it felt like the momentum was building toward him leaving. I'm curious as to what you have learned or what you believe was the reason. And there may have been more than one that came together to cause him to push back against the momentum that was building toward the possibility that he would step down. That there was no great TV job, number one. Number two, that he didn't want to go out on his first failed season as a head coach. Number three, he's 37 years old. He's not burned out. He's pissed off. That's what he is. And he is extraordinarily disappointed that for the rest of time, he will have, what was it, 5-12 and next to his name on his resume for one year that he coached in the NFL. He didn't want to go out this way. And I also think, Mike, that the one thing that people need to understand right now about Sean McVay is that he still loves football. He loves coaching. He didn't want out. However, if there had been an alternative at $18 million a year to go be a new Tony Romo or Collinsworth or whoever, I think for three or four years... He would have been excited about looking at that. But absolutely unequivocally, he was not done with coaching. And I think he wants to come back next year with a vengeance, with a new coaching staff, and show everybody that last year was a fluke. New players would help. The problem is when you have mortgaged your future with an F-them-picks mindset and that nucleus of rising great young players that you don't have because you traded those picks for aging veterans who create salary cap problems. It's a multi-year rebuild. And Peter, one of the things I firmly believe he was stung by the criticism, both internally and externally of the perception that he was getting out while the getting was good. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Mike. Can I just say one more thing about one thing that you just said? And you're right about what you just said. But there's also one point. The Rams have a pick around 37 or 38. I forget what number it is. Overall in the second round. For now. Okay. Well, here's my opinion. Watch. That pick will become three fours. Les Snead will now become less enamored of trying to bid on the great veteran in free agency or trying to trade for the great veteran. Instead... I think there are those inside the Rams organization who say, okay, you think we can't build it through the draft? You think we can't contend for a Super Bowl by building through the draft? Even with the disadvantageous position we're in right now, watch. We are going to build through the draft. Well, we'll see what they do. We'll take a break. When we return, we'll talk about what they're going to do this weekend. Show me something. Move from Friday to Thursday to coincide with Peter's appearance. We'll do it next here on PFT Live. Divisional round is here. At least it is in two days. Show me something. Typically a draft we do on Fridays in season. Since Peter's with us on Thursday, we're doing the show me something for the divisional round draft 
now. Peter, you're up. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Surprise. <laughs> here's the reason. Here's the reason why this is a huge game for Daniel Jones. Look, I don't buy and I don't think I, I don't think football players buy, oh, they're playing with house money. This is to me the game that Daniel Jones shows the world. I don't think you show the world to the Minnesota Vikings, a team that was pretty good and at times very good this season, uh, but that you went down to the wire with on Christmas Eve. Uh, this is not the one. This is the team that <clears throat> the Eagles have totally had the Giants number. They're the number one seed. They look absolutely unbeatable at times this year. This is the game where if Daniel Jones wins, plays well, and shows us something where you'll say absolutely unequivocally, long-term franchise quarterback of the New York Giants. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Do something no one other than you expects you to do. Show me something, Dak Prescott. And I say that knowing full well that he showed us something on Monday night. Arguably the best game of his career when you consider the stakes and the situation and the criticism that had been levied against him. But you got to follow it up now with a trip to San Francisco to take on the best defense in the NFL, and they will be ready for you. Can you put two of those performances together? The naysayers will say nay because that's what naysayers do. It's up to Dak Prescott to show us that he can indeed string together two great performances and vault the Cowboys to the NFC Championship for the first time in 26 years. Show me something, Dak Prescott. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Look, the Jaguars have existed in one of the most deleterious environments in all of football over the last decade. They had one reprieve from that. That weird season in 20-whatever, 17, when they almost 17. won the AFC title in New England. And, and I look at this right now as a new era in Jaguars history. Trevor Lawrence is leading it. Shock the world, Trevor Lawrence. Do what the Jacksonville Jaguars did in their second year when they went to Denver and shocked the pants off John Elway and Mike Shanahan. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Show me something, Joe, and I'm not going to say Burrow. I'm going to say Mixon. Joe Mixon has quietly seemed to be the most agitated of all the Bengals regarding the aftermath of the Bills-Bengals game, the way it's been handled, the short straw that the Bengals have gotten, how they've been overlooked in this various process. We have special accommodations for the AFC Championship, special accommodations for the wild card round. What about the divisional round? Why are the Bills and the Bengals playing in Buffalo when the Bengals could have won that game and that game would have been in Cincinnati? And Mixon was complaining yesterday about the fact that they're already selling tickets to the AFC Championship neutral site game that presumes a Bills and Chiefs win in the divisional round. He seems salty, he seems upset, and he's got a way to take out his frustrations by pounding hard between the line of scrimmage, gaining yards in the running game, and making it easier for Joe Burrow to pass with that offensive line diminished a good run game is the best way to buy time for Joe Burrow in the pass game Joe Mixon is the key to that show me something Joe Mixon and we're going to show you a couple of commercials we'll do round three of the show me something draft right after this all right those are the first Two rounds. We have picked someone from each of the four games so far. One round left. Peter, you're up. Show me something, Jason Kelsey. Now, look, it's ridiculous to challenge Jason Kelsey. I mean, he's been the first team All-Pro center five of the last six seasons in the NFL. I think there's a heck of a chance that one day Jason Kelsey will be striding into Canton probably alongside his brother, Travis Kelsey, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But this week, he has the challenge of facing double trouble interior in the New York Giants offensive line. Dexter Lawrence, who had eight pressures in Minnesota last weekend, and Quinnen Williams. This is a tough, tough 
matchup for the Philadelphia Eagles along that offensive front. Show me something, Jason Kelsey. Show me those Hall of Fame chops. Show me something, Gabe Davis. You showed us something last year in the divisional round with four touchdown catches, creating an anticipation that this would be the year that you explode as a major player in the NFL. Didn't quite work out, but here's the opportunity to do it again because you know, Peter, the Bengals are going to be all over Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis, this is your chance. This is your time. This is your weekend. Show us all something. We're going to show you the door until tomorrow morning. Thanks for some of your time. See you Friday. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 